Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Off with follow me if this is your first Sunday. Um, welcome here. This is the fourth sermon that we've done on this little sermon series on discipleship. And you can get the audio downloads on our website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Ask Us, and we will hopefully be able to help you if you want it. And tonight I'm going to finish off with Follow Me, a sermon series on discipleship, pursuing the heart of Jesus. Pursuing the heart of Jesus. We say this often, but let me say this again. To come to God is firstly 100% the work of a heart and the spirit. Out of that grows a life that change works acts of faith reaching out. Okay, The root is a heart that changes and turns to Christ. The fruit is a life that looks different. In the past, over centuries, Christian churches and ministers have fallen back and said, if you can just make your life look like a Christian, you will do well. Maybe you'll have more, you'll score more little marks in heaven than crosses. So just make sure your good outweigh the bad. That's not the gospel. That's something else. It's a, it's a false teaching if you've ever heard it. The truth is, we... Meet him with our hearts while we are bad. There's no other way. Apostle Paul on his way to kill people that love Jesus. Gwa meets Christ. It's as simple as that. Man fishing on the boat. Jesus says, I want your heart. Okay. And out of that flows a life that changes. Is this important to God? Is it important for God that our life, our works, our actions, our, wor- our words look and sound like Jesus, it's extremely important, but it has to be on its place. It needs to follow the heart. Okay, so tonight we're talking about pursuing the heart of Jesus with our hearts. Otherwise, if I only encourage you to act like Christ or sound like him, I'm asking you to be a parrot, Right, so we had a very funny guy in. Um, I didn't plan this. I hope this doesn't take <laughs> too much time. We, we had a guy in Rez, but he's the funniest guy. He's got the funniest mannerisms. Very smart. He's a genius. But he literally, he walks like this. He's got a bit of a gangster vibe. And so the one day, for us in Aismare, that's normal. Now he gets his food, he walks to his table. But the one day he's walking in Stellenbosch. Who, who was it, Stalis? Can you Marie? That can't be. Who was it, Stalis? Just put up your hands. Okay, wow. So there's a place. <laughs> wow. There's a big flat area paved with red, red bricks. It's called the Roy Plain. Okay, the bib. That's the, is it the only bib under the ground or the biggest bib under the ground? probably the biggest. So the bib is under the Roy Plain. So they save space in Stellenbosch. And so this guy, let's call him Pity, is walking in his style over the Roy Plain. And you'll not believe it. That day on campus, there's a mime. 
and this guy picks up Pity, and it's like jackpot. He gets behind him, and he walks the whole road plane. <laughs> but a mime acts what he sees, okay? He doesn't love the person, doesn't know the person. His job is to make fun of what he sees. And in a way, sometimes we have reduced Christianity to be like that. Christians do this, I'm going to do this. Christians say this, I'm going to say that, okay? So we parrots and mimes, but God's coming for our hearts, okay? And that's why I'm pressing you in times of worship, not you. It's not something we do for you. It's something we do for ourselves. God, where do we need to stretch in our hearts? Because it's our hearts. If it was only about singing, we'd say halfway through the second song, okay, singing done, singing done. Announcements now. Okay, don't sing that song again. No, we're not interested in getting stuff done to mind the church. We're interested in getting our hearts closer to God because out of that pops all kinds of miraculous works, words, life actions that look and smells like Jesus. Are you with me? So that's the heart of us, pursuing the heart of Jesus. Let's, let's read together. This is going to be my base scripture in Luke 23. We're going to read about Jesus on the cross. And we're going to ask ourselves a few questions about his heart. And then we're going to venture into different areas of Scripture, but then bring it back into this little context here. And we're going to end with three things that I want to challenge you to take your heart and pursue hard after God. Three donuts. See if I'm three donuts. Okay? Right. I, I, I know, I know at least can finish 10, ten donuts if you want to. Easy. Easy. <laughs> this is a half a meal. It's got a hole in. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, let's, let's read together nice and slow. And Jesus said, Father, forgive him. He's hanging on the cross. Okay. Okay, that would not be the words I'd be speaking at that moment. Let's go on. For they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. There's a verse omitted there. Verse 41, and then verse 42, the man says, Jesus, remember me. And then Jesus said, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Okay. So let just one or two handles that I want to put, on, put in here and, and help us to find our way 
tonight. Let's just quickly have a definition of the gospel. We're talking about discipleship, and, and, and discipleship fits into the gospel. So there's many definitions of, of what the gospel is and what it's not, and it's, it's, it's pages, but most will agree this is the substance of it. If we can go to slide number five, please. The, good, the gospel is what? The good news that Jesus lived and died for the salvation of mankind. Why is this good news? This is good news because his death grants you forgiveness and his life imputes to us righteousness. Imputes me, means you get what he had. Okay, That's why the gospel is good news. He lived and he died. That's why Jesus didn't die as a baby. He had to live a righteous life. The father's pleased with his life, 33 years. And then the father says, for whoever comes to the son, the righteousness of Christ I put on him. So you don't only have a clean slate because you said, Lord, forgive my sins. You get the works and words of Jesus given to you and your words and words taken away. Okay, that's what you and I need. What is discipleship? Also, again, I mean, you can't in two lines on PowerPoint try and explain, but just to have a handle after accepting Jesus to become more like him and to continue his work of expanding the kingdom of God very broadly. Okay, that's what we're busy with. Right. We want to get his heart so that we can become like him and also understand what enabled him to continue the work on the cross and not get off. Okay, we want to get to the heart of things. So let's, let's get into this. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Now, let's take a little bit of a forgiveness tour and then land it in our midst. There's a day one of the disciples came to Jesus, Peter, and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me that I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but seventy seven times okay now it's not like when they sin the 78th time you're not going to forgive them jesus is trying to say you always need to forgive him okay so we see in the beginning that jesus says we have to forgive right or even more in the beginning matthew 6 when they ask him lord how should we pray very important line in the lord's prayer is forgive us our debts or our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors Okay, so we, we see this idea of forgiveness entering very early in the gospel. We see Jesus speaking about it. Not only do we see him speaking about it, we see him doing it, right? There's a woman that came in Luke 7 to wash Jesus' feet. She was a woman of a night. She was a prostitute. And as she was washing his feet and crying over his feet, a man in which home Jesus were a, a polished man. He was not a prostitute. He was clean. He is well spoken of. He thought in his heart, if Jesus knows how sinful this woman is, he would never allow her to touch him. And this is what Jesus says. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Okay? She loved much. But he who's forgiven little, loves little. Okay? I want to go into that. What Jesus is saying is the one who knows how sinful he is will explode with love. That's what it's saying. Okay? There's another situation where a woman, again, was caught in adultery with a man, dragged out into the open plains, and the people wanted to stone her. And uh, Jesus said, him with the first sin, you, you without sin, you can throw the first stone. 
and no one threw. They just left. And Jesus stood up and said to a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, go and sin no more. Okay, we see Jesus practicing forgiveness, right? And maybe in a sense, we still understand that he's forgiving a prostitute. That's, that's nice. People should do it. But then we see him on the cross, the next slide. And he's not having a great day, okay? His best friend three times deny him. Another friend that he just ate with betrays him with a kiss. People come to capture him, falsely accuse him. They beat him with rods. Okay, they, they spit on him. They give him sour stuff. They, they beat him so harshly that you can see his intestines. The skin is away. They take his clothes. They put him on a cross naked. And nails go through his hands. It's, it's a bad day. Okay? We can just go to that next slide. And on the pinnacle of this bad day, as they are still shouting, he says the following words. He says, forgive them. They know not what they do. It has to blast you away. This, it, it needs to blow you away. How unjustly Jesus is being treated. No, on earth, not at one time has such a cruel sin been committed towards a man because he's absolutely innocent. Okay. The other day, I heard a horrific story about a man murdering a baby. If you've got young kids, if you, if you, know, if you don't have kids, it sounds bad, but if you, if you have your own young one and you hear something like that, pierces to your heart. That is nothing compared to the sin being accomplished against Christ on the cross. It's still galaxies apart because even that baby, just hear me, was born a sinner. Unjustly murdered and God will bring justice. But it's nothing compared to what's happening to the Son of God at this moment. If there was one man who could say, Lord, these men, they don't deserve forgiveness, then it's Jesus. At that moment, on the pinnacle, think about the worst injustice. You can remember, I told you a heart-wrenching story now about a baby. Whatever you can think of, whatever, whatever, the worst things that happen to a person again and again and again, and now they're alone or they lost everything, it's nothing compared to this. Forgive him. It blows us away. Why is this so important? Why is the forgiveness of Christ on the cross so important that it should blow our minds? Here's why. And this is very important for tonight. Every moment a sinner comes to repentance, going forward in time, going back, every moment someone comes to forgive to ask God for forgiveness. It's this very forgiveness that wash over them. If at his greatest moment of distress, on the pinnacle moment of sin committed against God, he says, forgive him, he surely will speak those words forever and ever and ever. Our salvation is built on this moment. A God that forgives. Without understanding forgiveness, there's no Christianity. None. None. 
And then, then Jesus, he sets quite a high standard for us because it's so important. It says in Matthew 5.22, and I'll be talking about you, challenging you with your heart, challenging myself with my heart to become more like Christ. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember, your brother has something against you. So as you come to worship and you find unforgiveness in your heart, remember what he said on the cross. Yeah, but you don't know what that person did to me. I'm not going to forgive him. You don't know what they did to him. (laughs) Unjustly so. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Here is a very important principle. If you want to come closer to God, get to know him and grow, is that the way, the secret place of worship where you connect with God face to face, face to face, the very, very deep part of worship, you will not be able to access it when unforgiveness rules your heart. I'm not saying you've lost your salvation. Hear me out. What I'm saying is true worship cannot happen through a heart that's ruled through unforgiveness. Forgiveness is very important. This is not a sermon on forgiveness. I'm not going to go too deep, but let me just say, God knows we are human. He knows we have emotions. We must forgive, and sometimes the emotion of feeling nice towards that person takes time. That's one thing. Making a commitment to forgive is what God is interested in. Without forgiveness in our hearts, we will not truly and deeply experience the presence of God because the presence of God expels unforgiveness. So one of God's ways of helping you is as you come to worship, as you come to church and you sing, you're like, I can't sing tonight. Something is blocking me. There's something wrong with me tonight. And you remember, I'm mad at that person. The Spirit is helping you. Forgive him. No, no, Lord, I can't. Just trust me. Just trust me. Forgive him. And that's funny. Then often when those words come out, it's like, it's like the weight falls off your shoulders. Why? In that moment, you're becoming more like Jesus who forgave. And now the Spirit is leading you to do the same. Can you see that? So on this journey of making our hearts more like Jesus, the very first thing, if I have to write a letter to you, I'm saying, dear disciple, I'm inviting you to do the following. Allow the forgiveness of Jesus to storm into your life. And forever carry you to the secret place of worship. Our faith is built on forgiveness. You enter worship based on forgiveness. When you enter, the enemy wants to say, hey, who's that man? And the father says, paid, forgiven. And then God starts to work in us to reproduce that forgiveness so that the world can say, only Christians, by the power of the Spirit, can forgive deeply those who have sinned against them. Because the Holy Spirit can do that. Are you with me? 
We are talking about hearts. So tonight I'm not saying, listen, uh, uh, we want more people. Sign up for the, you know, the setup team. That's how you're a Christian. You know, uh, sign up for the snack team. We need those things to be done. Uh, th- th- those things come far after this. Please, I'm asking you, be gentle to yourself and forgive. You're becoming more like Christ. Are you with me? Take your lunch and say donuts. Okay. Okay. All right. We are going deep. That's why you are here. Let's go on. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind, okay? Before you do stuff, make sure you believe what is to come. It's what the writer says. And it says about Jesus in Philippians 2 verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. We just read about it. Even the death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's talking about the humility of Christ. This is very hard to grasp. But let, let's just cut down to the heart of a matter. What does it mean when the scripture says that Jesus is the ultimate form of humility? Okay. Here's, here's the, at least one of the key thoughts. Because Jesus was God, yet also humble, in his heart, in his mind, in his walk with a father and his obedience on earth with the work he had to do. Listen up. There was no task beneath him. None. There was nothing he would not do to accomplish the will of the father. He would never say, I'm the CEO here. I don't do the admin. He would do what needs to be done. What we need to understand is that Jesus is worshipped in the heaven by the angels that bow down. Worthy is the Lamb. Forever we will sing. There's nothing like when angels worship you and the Father says, this is my son. He knows what it feels to be honored and it's right. To put him on the cross, naked for sins, it's a shame. But it's not beneath him. I'll do it. So let me just say this. Maybe cleaning a toilet at church or at home, doing the dishes, it's royal work compared to dying on a cross like Jesus did. As there was nothing beneath Jesus. So let it be so with us. Very important thing to know. Very important. Follow me here. I know I'm going deep with you guys, but we have to do this. If the enemy steals your godly humility, he steals your calling. Because in your calling, in our journey with God, sometimes doing something that does not sound or seem significant is what brings another person to salvation. 
And so when he steals, when he breaks the cornerstone of humility, he steals your calling away from you. Because you're starting to measure. You don't realize this. It's in your heart. It's in the back of your mind. But you're starting to measure whether something is beneath you or not. So you're starting to pick and choose. All right? I know there's stuff that God has not called you for. That's not what we're saying. What I am saying is as on the road of Christ, there was things that he did that no one else would do. So it would be with you. Just know that. Let not the enemy steal your calling away because pride sets in. Are you with me? Look at the words of Jesus. Just take a few verses. John 7 verse 16. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. What do we say? That's my work. You can't steal it. <laughs> right? There should be order in this world so it's good that people have rights on stuff. But Christ comes. They say it's the most extravagant speaker the world has ever seen. People come out. He says, listen, let me just tell you what. It's not my teaching. What you're hearing is from the Father. But I've not come down on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and in me, and him you do not know. I'm not even here on my own accord. This is the Son of God speaking. Then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority. But I speak just as the Father has taught me. I do nothing on my own authority. I just love this Dan here. I think she's at Kitty's church. She, she had a session with us. Um, at uh, marriage enrichment, she said she understands God has placed her husband as the head of her home. So when her husband says, I want you to go to the post office, surely it's a God thing to do. It's a good thing to do. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm not here on my own authority. So if the Father said, do this, it's not what I do, it's who sent me. Okay. Mark of true humility. Look at this. This is a quote from a man, Brother Lawrence. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And when that is done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me grace to work. Flipping cakes. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. Brother, Laura, Brother Lawrence. Okay? So, Brown shared last night, um, being faithful and picking up a straw might lead to you walking into your calling, doing insignificant things. Reinhard Bonker preaches to four million people one night Afterwards, they see him engaging with a man. They go close. He's preaching the very same sermon to one other man that couldn't attend. Picking up the straws. Angus Bucken at Newlands, Cape Town, Cricket Stadium. We, we, did, we, did a, we facilitated his event, spoke to thousands. There was many people, not four million. Afterwards, they find him in the parking lot sharing the same message to a God God, one man. You see, it's men whose cornerstone of humility has not been stolen. True integrity is just obeying God, whether it's many of you being seen or not. 
So what I'm asking you tonight is to carry your heart into humility. Last scripture before we get to point number two. This is Jesus understanding humility, saying, he's going a little, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Where do you want me, Lord? Your calling depends on your ability to do what you are told to do. And challenges on the way will be that some of those things are going to seem beneath you. Dear disciple, this is my best for you for tonight. Like Jesus, dress yourself with humility so that you may hear the voice that whispers your calling. Dress your heart. Humility is the ears to hear God's voice. Nothing should be beneath me and nothing should be beneath you. Let us start somewhere, amen? Let's go on. Last lap for tonight, the Spirit comes on Jesus and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God ascending like a dove and coming to rest on him. That's what happened as, at the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus quotes this in the synagogue. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. They saw what happened. Now he says it, quoting from Isaiah, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, all because the Spirit is working it through me. So again, again, you see yieldedness. You see humility in there. Jesus goes on, he received it, he spoke about it, and then he says the following, but you will receive also Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witness. What did Jesus do? He came to witness. Now you will witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then what Jesus says always happens, amen? Acts 2 verse 4, and they were filled with the Spirit began to speak in other tongues and the Spirit gave him utterances. We see the same pattern. I'm just carrying you through the fact that Jesus' life and heart was empowered by the Spirit. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samariah had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed with him that they might receive the Holy Spirit. We see that. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. And when they laid their hands on them, they received the Spirit. Okay? Very quickly after being saved, this had to be done. We need to, we need to empower these people to do the work of God. And so they prayed for them, for the Holy Spirit. After that, we're going more or less in a chronological order. After Acts, we get many letters to churches and we see Paul writing to the Galatians, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit speaks, and because you are humble, you hear His whisper. Nothing is beneath you. You also hear His voice because unforgiveness is not blocking your ears. 1 Thessalonians says, do not quench the Spirit. The opposite of that would be, if we are not to quench it, we are to 
invite. Say welcome. Third thing I want to say tonight is, just like Jesus, who we want to follow, Jesus, we want to be disciples, following him in his heart and in his actions, receive the Spirit and cherish his presence so that you may be a powerful disciple. Maybe a powerful disciple. Amen. This is not everything that we should copy from the life of Jesus. This is just what the Holy Spirit gave me for tonight. But if you look on the screen, if you humble yourself before God and you draw near, you say, Holy Spirit, have your way with me. He will carry you to one and two. He will help you with your forgiveness. And he will help you with humility. He will maybe convict you in your heart of pride. And he will remind you nothing should be beneath you. And so the key for tonight is just simply not to pray through a list, but just to say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my life. Please put your hands on my heart so that in my heart I may become more and more like Jesus. As an after effect or as a consequence, your actions will follow. Heart to heart, that's the place to start. Amen? Let's stand up tonight. Can we... Um, Please have that last slide on, if that's, if that's okay. Thank you. I think it's Chris back there. Appreciate oh, Pauline. Just for a moment, I want to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you tonight? How did God communicate with you? At the end of the day, we are sharing the Word of God the best we can. But then the Spirit comes in His unique ways and continue the work in, in the hearts. I don't always have access to what God is saying to you. All I know is that He loves you and that He is busy with you. And I'm very happy about that. And as disciples, we should be there for one another to help one another on our journey of discipleship. Amen? That's why we are here. Let's be bold tonight. We're going to start with number three. Let's respond. Let's not be like those people James speaks about in the book of James that hears the word but has no ability to change after hearing. We want to hear, respond, and change. And, and so the first invitation I want to make tonight is, is to just ask if you just want to open your heart anew afresh for the work of the Holy Spirit. You just want to say, you know what, Holy Spirit, I realize I've tried a lot on my own. And I just want to ask you to come and fill me again and, and help me and empower me. I will say this, many of the things God will ask of you will not be possible for a man to do. But with God, all things possible and that's why we're asking for the Holy Spirit to, to help us we don't want to be a 
bunch of people in Sekunda that acts like people without sin. We want to be a powerful group of people that can affect change where we work, where we live with our families and our friends. We want to love extravagantly. And we need help. We need the Holy Spirit. And so I want to make an invitation for that tonight. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you in a moment if, if you want to recommit to that to put your hand up very high and then we're going to just send people to pray in the chairs where those hands might be if that's alright so Holy Spirit we just want to welcome you and firstly as a congregation we want to say you are welcome in our midst please, please fill us anew please fill us afresh to, to follow after your voice to help us to be disciples of Jesus with our hearts first so that great lives may be the fruit of it. Lives that looks and smell like Jesus, that changes this town. But we know we cannot do it without the Spirit. So tonight, if you want to invite the Holy Spirit again into your life, just put up your hand. One, two, three, let's go. Thank you for those hands. Put it up very high. Don't be shy tonight. And uh, keep your hand up until someone gets to you. Can we just, as facilitators, get around guys on guys, girls on girls? Thank you. If you still want to put your hand up, you can do it. We're just moving around this place. This is our home. We do what we want here. Okay. There's a hand there at the back. Great. Just wave at me if you still, if you still need someone to pray. I want everyone, some people are going to pray with assistance, with help. Okay, sometimes in the Spirit, like uh, with the Holy Spirit, like we read, people came and they placed their hands on them. They received the Spirit. Other times it just happened. There's no set pattern. But for some people, they're going to have prayer support tonight. But for a moment, I want everyone just to ask God to use them. Just to ask for more of the Spirit. Let's pray in this place. Let's take a few minutes. Let's pray. Where you are standing, just pray. Say, Holy Spirit, I'm asking for more of you in my life.